Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to the Book Ride Podcast. We're recording on today, the first day of October. Is it feeling like fall there at all, Rebecca? Do you get it any is. fall vibes? Yeah, we're getting fall vibes. We had a week last month that the, like the highs were in the mid-60s, and it mm. was perfect fall. But we call that false fall here. It always happens. Uh, then it was hot again for several days, and it's it's like warm here, but we're having at least the thing where... It's cool in the mornings and the evenings. The afternoons yeah. get like up into the 70s. Mm-hmm. But I have on, I'm wearing sleeves, which is a novel concept <laughs> in Virginia after the summer. Um, and drinking hot tea. So things are happening. We're progressing. Yeah, we're, we're having a little bit of um, summer holding on. Highs in the 80s here mm. um, in the afternoons okay. and feeling like it's still, it's hard to believe it's, I mean, as we've talked about on this show and everyone on Twitter or other places made jokes about how what is time in 2020, but mm-hmm. it definitely feels like out of out of sorts. Um, it's a summer that wouldn't end, I feel like, in a lot of, way, in a lot of ways, yeah. even though school has school, all the air quotes in the world has started. <laughs> um, I mean, the seasonal demarcations now are we had before COVID lockdowns. And then a season mm-hmm. that is from the COVID lockdowns to the election, I think, is all one season for 2020. That's a whole At least, unit. Yeah. And then whatever mm-hmm. happens after will be its season until whatever. So seasons are canceled, is what I'm saying. They no, they no, they're, they're no longer usable uh, calendar epistemes that we can use to understand what's going on. Anyway, we've got book news, a lot of interesting stuff going on this mm-hmm. week. But first, let's do a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. 
This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at leebardugothefamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Follow. Oh, yeah, follow up. Phoebe Robinson, we talked about, got a imprint called Tiny Reparations, mm-hmm. and she announced the first she, the imprint. I'm not sure how you do this anymore when that person is an imprint. I guess she announced the first um, wave, first few books, I guess. Let's see, how many are there? One, two, 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 two. just two, I guess, two. Mm-hmm. Um, Rage, the Evolution of a Black Queer Body in America by Lester Fabian Brathwaite. And then What the Fireflies Knew by Kai Harris. So the first is a memoir? So is it a memoir? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it looks like it, it doesn't say memoir. memoir but look, mm-hmm. And the second one is a... Reads like a memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is a novel, which is perspective of an 11-year-old. She tries to make sense of her new life living with her estranged grandfather and her sister after the death of... Is this lit fic or is this YA? It doesn't say. I mean, it's 11-year-old. It can go a couple different ways. novel. Yeah. I'm... Hmm. Hmm. I'm guessing it's adult literary fiction just with a child protagonist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then the um, Lester Fabian Breathwaite is a memoir. Interesting. And then Robinson's own next book um, called Two Feet Apart. I'm sorry. The, Six the Feet Enter- Apart. Entertainment Weekly pop-up just took over the whole thing with their autoplay <laughs> video ad and their secondary oh. thing over the side. So yeah, Six Feet Apart. <laughs> Um, that's out. So you can mark those mm-hmm. worth saying that that pretty quick turnaround, I guess. I don't, when, who knows? It didn't feel like that that long ago we talked about, oh. um, her. Yeah. And I think her, so six feet apart is due to hit shelves in the fall of 2021. So that's uh-huh. next year. Um, and we don't have dates for these other two, just sometime next year. I think this is a really interesting first two. And these are like, these seem like, serious books you know sometimes Mm -hmm. we get celebrity imprints that are more of a nod to an idea or more of just like i'm a celebrity and these are books that i like Um, Mm -hmm. and it was i think it was pretty clear from the get-go that you know if you start an imprint as a black woman that's called tiny reparations um it's going to be you're going to be dealing with race very directly and i was curious about how she was going to approach that like would it all be sort of non-fictiony contemporary essays or and like in the self-help social justice realm um so i'm really interested that you know one of the authors is male and that we get a memoir and Mm -hmm. some kind of fiction here Mm -hmm. um I think Phoebe Robinson strikes me as like from podcasts I've listened to and you know, other media with her as pretty eclectic in the media mm-hmm. that she consumes. And it's, I'm excited to 
see if we get to if we continue to get a mix of uh, genres and approaches and different voices from within uh, whatever Mm -hmm. the defining features are of her imprint yeah that's really cool so that's going to come out soon another more big news at the top and i think this might be well i don't know the Dana Kennedy at Simon and Schuster, but uh, Jamia Wilson named executive editor at Random House. So don't. Mm-hmm. This is not PRH. This is Random House, which unbelievably is an imprint <laughs> of Penguin Random House. In I Random know it's confusing. House. <laughs> it's confusing, but the executive editor generally means the top dog at an imprint, um, right? Yes. I mean, it can mm-hmm. be used variously, but exactly. Um, she was at Feminist Press, and now I'm locked out of this. Now, now I have oh, this pub- I have a publisher's I, I have a publisher's weekly subscription, so we're going to do this a little bit off memory. But she was formerly, until this, um, I think executive editor at Feminist Press. I know it's Feminist Press. I don't know exact mm-hmm. title here. Uh, Jamia Wilson, a black woman. Um, but behind the scenes, I don't want to name names, but we had some people in our circle say they worked at Feminist Press and said she was absolutely fantastic um not quite like hiring um well i don't know i mean lisa lucas is in books which from the national book foundation and dana kennedy an author a journalist puts i guess this is more straight up publishing to publishing um because she had a similar mm-hmm. job at feminist press but i'd say the gap in terms of scale between what the feminist press does and what you're going to do at executive editor random house Seems a bigger jump than Canada's or Lucas's jump, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't have yeah. a good sense of what Feminist Press sales imprint really is at this point. I, I don't have a, a great sense of like really the size of Feminist Press, but from familiarity with their titles and from having read a lot of mm-hmm. books that Feminist Press has published, like it's a nonprofit publisher. Yes, right, um, right. So moving from just moving from that realm into the realm of like the big five, I think is a, a pretty significant jump for anybody. But the scope of work that you're doing like the random house imprint at prh is a pretty commercial like book clubby kind of imprint so it's a chance to go from um, things that are like pretty specifically geared towards like feminist and intersectional and social justice perspectives in fiction Mm -hmm. and memoir like in all the things from feminist press to how is she going to bring that perspective to the much broader sort of um, scope of work that the Random House imprint does. I'm really smart. I think it's a really smart hire because those Random House imprint titles um, do tend to like sometimes have big budgets and get a lot of publicity and they can really go places. So using that visibility to point to um, a a wider variety of, of issues and voices could be really powerful. You know, there's a part of it, I'm thrilled to see this. I think it's the kind of thing that publishing needed to do. But there's also a part of me, too, it's like, you could have just done, you mean you're saying you could have just done this six years ago? Yeah. Right? Like, it was, I guess the will, the will is important. The will to do it is super important. But it's like, oh, you could have just, there were people, I mean, we knew this, there were people that could do these jobs and that jumping the line, the I mean, you see what I'm getting, like not going through the mm-hmm. pipeline of being at Random House and working your way up from the unpaid internship all the way to whatever over the course of 30 years. I guess it just took a different mental model of what was possible, engender, or instigated, engendered, uh, catalyzed by the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. You know, I think also primed over the last five years, a lot of different conversations with yes. publishing. 
but there's something that's like, okay, great, but boy, really, you could have just done it? There wasn't actually, you know what, I, do you, is that unfair? I'm just totally having that reaction I mean, too. I, I, I've been having that feeling about this as well, and I would be curious about the you know, sort of what the complex responses to it must be like for people of color, especially for women of color and black yeah. women publishing is like, I'm glad that these publishers, especially PRH, because they've made a lot of big moves pretty quickly. Yes, they have. Um, finally hit some tipping point where they decided like the stakes are high enough and this is important enough. We will go figure out who to recruit and how to recruit them. And like, clearly our pipeline doesn't have people in it. So how are we going to mm-hmm. bring people of color into our workplace and into the work that we're doing? I'm glad that they got there. I am having a hard time with just be like staying in that place. I'm just, I'm glad that you got here because it does seem that the fact that like you're saying that they were able to do this relatively quickly. Um, like by the time that we get these announcements, I assume, you know, like interviews and negotiations have yeah. been going on for weeks, if right. not months, um, that if it could have been done this quickly, why did it take this long? Like, why did we have to reach the fever pitch and, and have multiple rounds of the discussion now for years and years about publishing's need to be more diverse and inclusive before, before you like took this action that apparently can be taken very quickly. Like Mm -hmm. I'm glad, I I guess I also, I think it, it, you know, it has to, I would guess it would be tempered by, um, it would, I think it would temper some of the excitement about getting these positions and I can only you know take the perspective of like if as a woman I were hired into a predominantly male organization because they recognized that women had valuable perspectives to offer and they wanted one I would be glad but also like hi we've been half of the population for a really long time (laughs) you know and like I, I I know my personal response to it would be that way and I'm sorry and sad that these incredibly talented women um are getting, are, are, you know, having their recognition sort of tamped down by the fact that it's coming with you are more than qualified to do this job and you sh- probably should have been offered it long before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. want to look, you know, it's not a gift horse because these people have earned yeah. these titles and this is work that should be done. So I don't want to, I don't want to throw a wet blanket over it. I just had the feeling of like you're seeing qu- quite a few high profile moves happen in succession would suggest the barrier to do them isn't insurmountable right. and hasn't been insurmountable. And and maybe maybe it took getting the right people to understand it and look with new eyes. That's probably what happened. Um, but, boy, it would have been all right if it had happened before. These yeah, people have been in these jobs for five years at this point. It gives me the same sort of like pit of my stomach feeling that I got when Bernadine Evaristo won the Booker right. and then had to share it with Margaret <laughs> Atwood. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, but again, the credit I will give the publishers is one thing we had talked about is how these jobs are generally filled. Is you have people that's been with the organization or Mm -hmm. in similar organizations over time and they work their way up and they're the next in line. And then when someone leaves, when a sunny meta leaves, then the next person they get chosen from that next rung down. Well, it is different to say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to expand the field 
because we know the field. Our, we're going to look to mm-hmm. other people's yards because our yard doesn't right. have what we need. Um, that actually is important and shows a recognition that business as usual doesn't work. We need to redo what our usual is. Mm-hmm. But to get yeah. there, we have to make moves that historically we wouldn't have made. So that, that's not easy. Organizations yeah. are not easy to change. So I get that. I get that. I do think that that's the important change here, or the, maybe the most significant one is that in previous rounds of this conversation, it's been like, well, we have a pipeline problem. Yeah. And we're working on, we're going to work on changing the pipeline. And we've seen, especially in these last couple of weeks, as some of the publishers have released their like year over year numbers about um, the diversity and inclusivity of their staff, that like improvements are being made. But mm. if we had to wait, like if we had to wait for a person who was getting hired at an entry-level position now to rise all the way through the ranks to take the executive editor position in, what, 15 or 20 years? Mm-hmm. Like, that's too, that's too long. And the recognition <laughs> of, like, well, this is the way we do things and that way isn't working anymore, so let's do it differently. Um, that shift to a different kind of paradigm or at least recognizing that their paradigm doesn't fully serve their goals anymore um, does deserve some credit. Mm-hmm. And I, I am glad to see that um, I just hope that this will continue, and really, I hope that whatever the whatever the next conversation is yeah. that we need to have about how publishing can do a better job representing all of the people in the world who read books and deserve to be in stories and see themselves on the page that like I hope in that moment the response will be faster because um, the people are out there who could fulfill whatever that mm-hmm. need is also. And let us not let it take this long again. Yeah. Anyways, I watch. We're gonna watch with great interest and see what the yes. products of these are. Um, very much so. Um, all right. Let's do another. I've got a. I got. It's not original reporting, but I. It's. Not, we're not gonna talk about a news story. I saw stuff happening, and I want to <laughs> talk about it. Do a sponsor. I'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tommen series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books and angsty tear jerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my 
hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. I was going to talk about this gen last week, but we talked about too many other things. Um, so I was, what book was it? Oh, I've got it right here. Money by Jacob Goldstein. Jacob Goldstein, one of the hosts, maybe co-founders of the Planet Money podcast, which has run on NPR for a million years. It's about finance. It's really great. Um, in, all, in all transparency, the blueprint for tip went out for annotated. One, it's like, could we do Planet Money for mm. books? And I think, you know, we did. That's what we did for a while. Yeah. It was very hard to do. We really enjoyed doing it. But it took a lot of time and effort. I know. Um, so I appreciate what they do even more, maybe after having tried to make mm-hmm. it myself or with, with Rebecca and Kyle and some others. Um, so his book called Money, which was came out this year, and I think telling a lot of the stories about how weird money is and money through the ages and exactly the kind of nonfiction I like, right? It's about an idea, but it's also entertaining, so on and so forth. I don't think it's as compelling as, say, reading about pockets, maybe, or shade. But <laughs> uh, so, I, so I was getting on the old, old Amazon to, to order a hardback. I like reading hardbacks sometimes. Um, and I noticed that it was only discounted 10% off the hardcover price. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the last time a new hardcover was only discounted 10% at Amazon. Because that, now, if you're Prime or whatever, shipping, tax, blah, 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 that's just the street price. But then I realized that that is the same discount that bookshop.org is doing on all new hardcovers. Mm-hmm. Like that's their standing mm-hmm. discount. I was like, isn't that interesting that for Money by Jacob Goldstein, the actual street price is the same if you bought it on bookshop.org and Amazon. That's great for bookshop, I would think. Now, because I have Prime, you know, the shipping thing, whatever, it adds a few more bucks if you do it uh, differently. But then I was like, but why this Why this book? Because it sold out? Maybe there weren't enough copies. It's not a big seller. So then I started poking around to look for, and I've got to tell you, there's a lot of books that are pretty good sellers. Now, again, the front, if they're the books that, you know, your friends out there that buy books and read them from time to time that pick up generally from front list or whatever, those are still discounted 40%. The Transcendent Kingdom, the, I don't, I don't even know what it's, flown, you know, the, the Bob Woodward book, like the Songs, Birds, mm-hmm. and Snakes, those are all 40%. But there's a bunch in the cut right below that, including things that show up in the Publishers Weekly Top 20 that are only 10% off. So the one I found is that, that was like really struck me because I saw it in Publishers Weekly as a hardcover front list fiction bestseller, Mexican Gothic, only a 10% discount. And I and there's, you know, My Name by Chanel Miller, only a 10% mm-hmm. discount. Then yesterday, I got hooked into one of our own ads, a book called The Loop. It's like Stranger Things meets X-Files. I was like, oh, look, tell me more about that. I clicked on the link in the <laughs> ad. No discount. Straight up twenty six ninety nine. And so there's there's a bunch of these books out there 
And this is a new paradigm. The, 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 some of the discounting has lowered over time from like 40 to like 30, 25%. But going from 10% all the way down to no discount price at all on a new release right now that I can get seems to me new to me. Now, again, maybe I didn't notice it. I still buy books on Amazon. I bought some stuff from my local. I bought some pals, blah, 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 whatever. I tried to spread the money around. Don't at me. Oh, you can't. I'm not on Twitter. Huh? Um, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. This seems like a new playbook. What, why is Amazon doing this? Why this change? I've got, I have theories. You have theories. Would you like to... So I have a few theories that I was either going to let you judge or would you like to just theorize together? Any way you want to play this, Rebecca, how would you like to do? I would like to toss my theory out and see if it's one of the ones that's Okay, on great. Let's list. do that. And What's your let's theory? Go from there. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. My theory is that in this moment, in COVID, Amazon has like gained people's... Even more. Like yeah. There are a lot of people really relying on... Amazon, because we're all, I think, relying on the internet more for things that we buy rather than going out in the world when we're trying to limit how much we go out in the world. And for a lot of folks, Amazon is the go-to there. And I think that Amazon has realized that in this moment, people are relying on them and they don't have to discount Mm. books to continue selling books. And they don't need books as a loss leader because people are showing up there to get everything else that they can get. So why not, because they're Amazon, try to, and you know, they're a business, their job is to make money, um, try try to wring more profit out of every sale. So I think that's what it is. I think it was a recognition of, um, and and perhaps like we are in a, recession um people who can still afford to buy books like mm. the difference between 26.99 hardcover and a 20 discount a 20 percent discount on that like you could probably buy it at 26.99 if you were willing to buy it at 22.99 um you know the folks who are still spending on luxury kinds of items are probably fine with the full hardcover price and amazon is going to take their dollars that, that mm-hmm. this is my theory and i wouldn't that, be surprised that's I guess, one of like, my three that's one of my three okay. i think it's the one in which it's the most interesting and the most <laughs> um also means the sort of the end of history when it comes to amazon disc or like amazon's book strategy mm-hmm. right because they're basically saying as you intimated there that we've got kind of the market share we think we can get maybe some other people will come on now People are going to buy books. Where else are they, else are they going to go? That's the question. Because that's, that's, to use my anecdote, I bought the book from Amazon because I was already in Prime. Even if I went to Bookshop, it's 10%. I still have to pay shipping over there, so it's a few bucks more. Plus, I got to remember my code and the thing and whatever. There's no discount at Barnes & Noble. I'm not going to beat it at Barnes & Noble. My lo- I've got nowhere else. There's nowhere to fall back to. They've already got me as a Prime member. What am I? They've got me right where they want me. I'm, I'm not being exploited. Don't get me wrong about that. The list price is twenty six ninety nine. I have gotten used to paying forty percent off that. Right, nine dollars cheaper. Not nothing. Rebecca Shinsky on a book by book basis to pay nine dollars less. So I think that if that is it, that signals a strategy shift, but also a sense of Amazon thinking that they have gotten basically most of the book buying public that is willing to shop with them or they can continue getting the equivalent market share on an ongoing basis for other reasons, right? People are coming in for movies or other things right now. They happen to get books um, right there. So that, that, and also I think that would be the most important change, maybe. Like this is, that would be a kind of a big deal if Amazon's really going to do this over time. 
I would say I think it's an, a really interesting moment in the history of Amazon. I'm not sure that it's an end to a thing because per, like, and Amazon probably has more data about this right. than we do. Like what happened to Amazon book sales and diaper sales and whatever else people buy on Amazon in the states that reopened pretty quickly? Yeah, right. Like did they go back to their in-person purchasing and the Amazon purchasing dipped? Because um, like in that case, I think it's interesting to think about like what are the things that people are buying online right now that as soon as they feel like it's safe to go back out into the world, they would prefer to be buying and they will Mm. go back to buying from their local places. And what are the things that people have gone to Amazon for out of necessity, but now are going to stay in that ecosystem? And like that's, I think that question and the which way it breaks is very likely to determine what happens with the book prices in the future. That if folks return to their pre-COVID you know, local and bricks and mortar purchasing habits, I would expect that we would see the books go back down in price as a competitive move. But if Amazon's got people and they're pretty confident that they're going to keep those people post COVID or as COVID, like as we start to ease out of it eventually someday, maybe I hope, um, then maybe they're starting to see now like books, the way that we talk about books for independent bookstore buyers that, you know, books as a luxury item that people have disposable income and are willing to spend $26.99 on and you'll spend $26.99 on the book. You'll just decide if you're getting it from your independent bookstore, if you're getting it from Amazon. And for a lot of people, it'll go to Amazon because they're getting other things there at the same time or they have prime or like all those same reasons mm-hmm. that you just listed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of the second tier of possibilities is that this is temporary, right? The, the end of history mm-hmm. one is like, Amazon has reached this point where their strategy has changed and they anticipate this being their strategy going forward. That's all I meant by end of history. It's like, here's our strategy going forward. The second one is that this is temporary somehow for some reason. There's a couple of reasons that could do it. One, as you suggest, is that maybe it's it's a result of the particular features of America right now. Though our friend Clint just checked for me and the the Canadian book of the loop is 40 bucks, which is, uh, you're getting up there. Um, So it's in Canada too, it looks like this is happening that maybe they're disincentivizing people from buying print. They're, they're ha- it's hard to fulfill stuff. Mail's mm-hmm. a disaster. Even some of the stuff I've been ordering late, you know, the two-day prime shipping is like a week now, which I think they're overwhelmed because of the very reason you say people are using it for all sorts of things they may not use otherwise. They're like, well, let's jack up the, the hardcover price because we, we'd prefer you to buy a Kindle book or an audiobook anyway, right? Now, now the mm-hmm. distinction between the nine ninety nine Kindle for the loop and the twenty six ninety nine hardcover is a serious difference, and especially as people are doing more ebooks from their libraries, which we have a story about in a minute. Audiobooks continue to rise. Maybe it's you know really pushing people towards. I know you might want print, but boy, look how cheap the ebook is because they have strategic reasons that they want you to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. Not the least of which is they'd rather not pack and pick and ship off to you the the hardcover book anyway. We don't want you to buy that, so let's raise well, the price there and get you into these other things. Yeah, and there are availability issues with right. print yep. books right now as well. Like I think you're onto something there that shipping is kind of a disaster for mm-hmm. everything right now, you know, and I think like we're probably all contributing to that in some way. Like last week I ordered a new pair of sneakers and I ordered two sizes because I can't go somewhere and try them on. <laughs> And so then I had to wait, you know, like much longer than it would usually take for them to get here from the company I ordered them from and they came. And then I had to like occupy more shipping space to send back the ones that were the wrong size. Yeah. I think we're all doing we're all doing some things like that. And in addition to that, you know, books are totally a thing that Amazon can disincentivize people from taking up like shipping resources on. But also hardcover books especially are and like first run kinds of things 
are running into supply issues because yeah. of the issues with printers. And then you add the printing issues and the shipping issues on top of it. And it's just a lot harder to get people the print copies of books that they want right now. So funneling them as you're able to into eBooks makes a lot of sense from that angle as well. Yeah. Yeah. So tweaking the supply demand thing to serve Amazon interest in the short term or, you know, in this particular moment seems a possibility to another temporary or possibly temporary move is they just want to see what happens. Maybe they don't know, right? What mm-hmm. happens if we change the price on a certain kind of books? It it feels to me, I can't really put my finger on it, but it's a certain kind of book that's not being discounted. Um, looks like paperbacks are still, but like it's really this middle, t- it's not midlist necessarily. I hate to use that word because it doesn't apply and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's like, like the like- next most interesting, you know, it's the ones that it's like second string frontless. Yeah, I sort of. Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of the way of thinking about it. And they're like, these are these are people, on the whole, I think that are not more passive book readers, or that are a more active kind of book reader, right? Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. They're interested in that book no matter what, maybe, and maybe they'll pay whatever because they know they can't go anywhere else. They're Amazon people, blah blah blah. Maybe they don't know what's going to happen. And they're just trying it. You know, they're just saying, what if we did this? What happens to our margins? What happens to our conversion rate? What happens? They can compare maybe because there's also some books that you think, given what they're doing with um, the non or very, very limited discounting on one title, an equivalent title in my eyes is also discounted at 40%. Maybe they're going to look at some AB stuff. Mm. You know, what does it actually look like? Do they actually sell any different? And if they do sell differently, do we make it up in the $9 of margin we pick up? Um, by having a, a no or a very limited discounting because this is uncharted territory for them too, right? I think. And they yeah. may not know what's going to happen. Are they going to be dummies like me? Well, I'm not sure I'm a dummy. Do they have me right where they want me, where it's like I'm an Amazon Prime member. It's easy for me to buy from Amazon. I trust the book's going to get there on time. I get my 10% discount on Jacob Goldstein. The, they're no longer competing with everyone else. They're competing with no one because no one else discounts and no one else has the infrastructure they have and my credit mm-hmm. card information and my free shipping that I pay $99 a year for, right? So if they have no competition, why discount so much? Let's see what happens. Yeah. I can understand it. It makes sense. You know, it yeah, makes sense. Even if that's not the intention, they're going to get that data from, yeah. from this mm-hmm. regardless. I think it's really... It, interesting like the especially because the shipping times have been extended so much that like that prime shipping is not really fast right now and so like the math for me like i'm i'm a dedicated indie bookstore shopper Mm -hmm. during covid like i have not given book dollars to anybody else um right now and i mean that's just like where i landed Mm -hmm. but part of it is like well it's gonna take a week for it to get here either way either way so why not buy it from somewhere local. Well, my other story that sort of goes alongside of it, which is the inverse, is, you know, the episode of um, the podcast I did with Lib and Rincey about Transcendent Kingdom. You know, I like to spread my book buying money around. I was like, Transcendent mm-hmm. Kingdom, Pals will have that. It's a big book. You know, I'll do pickup for Pals. So I mm-hmm. go to Pals.com. I mean, no shade. I'm sorry. This is just what happened. I, I don't know what to tell you, Pals. I did the pickup and they say, okay, my local branch. So it's like three blocks from my house and there's one downtown. And they do pick up right now. So I'm like, all right, Transcendent Kingdom. They send the email. They say, okay, thanks. Um, we have them in stock. We'll let you know when you can come pick it up. I was like, okay, I can't. Sure, whatever. 
wait a few days, still haven't heard. I'm on the clock, right? I got to read this and make some notes. Like, and I get another email saying, sorry, we don't have the title available. We have to cancel your order. And I was like, come on, right? Oh, I, was, that's a I was like, and so that was the other thing that factored into my Jacob Goldstein money thing. I was like, Amazon, they, even if they say it's going to take a week, even if it's too longer, it's very rarely not at least what they, close to what they say. At least they're giving me mm-hmm. the straight dope about what it's going to take and they can get it there. I don't know what happened with Pals. But I was like, this will show up. It doesn't compete is what I'm saying. It just it can't yeah. compete in that it has this feature that since th- they can compete on that feature rather than price and they pick up the money with price anyway, maybe we're going to see what's going to happen. If all the indie bookstores and all the Barnes and Nobles in the world open up tomorrow and Amazon goes back to some other discounting model, I think we would, we'd, be, we'd fall into that first short-term category of like uh-huh. this is some sort of COVID thing. But if it's really like where we are in the book market and what if, are we are we at a place where we're, our our brand and our customer loyalty is such that we no longer lead with price for this strata of books? Is that interesting? What what will they see happen? And I don't know if it has ramifications in the wider book world, right? Will I now that I the next time I go to buy um, the history of the axe or whatever I'm going to buy, <laughs> and it's only ten percent on Amazon? What am I going to do? It's an interesting question. Right. I think mm-hmm. it's an interesting question because. It's not clear cut. My first, re- my first response, honestly, was like, screw Amazon. I'm just going to go buy from any bookstore. But then I was like, I just had done this thing with Transcendent Kingdom. Is Ingram going to have this mid-list? How long is it going to take to get from Bookshop? Do I want to buy it on Kindle? Like, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm the guinea pig or I'm in the mouse in the maze. And where's the cheese? And how do I get to the cheese? And Amazon's <laughs> watching what I'm doing. I mean, I think they're trying to figure out which, maybe trying to figure out like which piece of cheese is the most important yeah, one. Like, right. is it the discount? Is it that you'll get the book at on a reliable time frame? Is it that they already have your credit card information, or that you're probably buying other things from Amazon at the same time? So why not toss a book into the cart yeah. while you're at it? Like, right. that's I think they're banking on the power of all of those other things. That like, well, I'm already here, or I needed to get these other things from Amazon anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'll just get this book while I'm at it rather than go like conduct a, another transaction at a separate place. Yeah. I think they're banking on that kind of loyalty. And it's just interesting that all of Amazon's loyalty is built on just the efficacy of like delivery, of discounting and the efficacy of delivery. Because there aren't people sitting around being like, you know, I just really love what Amazon stands for. And I feel good about <laughs> being an Amazon right. shopper. Like it's not a family values position like Walmart tries to take. Like it's just straight up. We will get you this thing and you will probably save money on it. Yeah. And going into or like now sitting in a recession, that can be a really compelling argument so i think it'll be interesting to see what they do there and also like we probably don't know the end point of this because as Mm -hmm. nice as it is to think about like a post-covid life the habits that we're all developing in some ways right now are not just going to like flip back you know to what we were doing on march 10th of Mm -hmm. this year like i think all of us are developing individual and collective patterns and habits and practices that um may continue to shift but also that won't just get like we won't get an announcement one day of like okay now we're post-covid and um let's all activate the post-covid protocols for like the ways that you want to exist in the world we're all gonna go to a bar at disneyland tomorrow (laughs) that's what we're doing it's that safe that is like my personal yeah that's right yeah um (laughs) 
So I don't know. If you're out there and you're an Amazon shopper and you're looking around and you find something that's not, you know discounted 10% or less and it's the kind of book and I don't know, I'd be podcast at bookriot.com. You guys out there mm-hmm. um, are looking at books all the time. I'd be super curious to see if you've got other theories, if you're a little birdie in some... Because here's the thing, what I'm wondering about, if I'm the publisher of, I don't even know... Um, who's Mexican Gothic, I'm not looking at right now. But if I'm that publisher, am I glad that Amazon's not discounting that right now? If I'm, if, if I'm Sylvia, am I glad? No. You're because you're not they're going to pick a cheaper book? Is that what yeah, we're I thinking? Mean, if you're the, well, if you're the publisher, you already got your cut when Amazon bought the book from you. Right, so right. now you're just counting on volume, and mm-hmm. you want Amazon to discount your book for volume, because Amazon's the one that takes the loss when they discount it. Yeah, one so. thing I consider is there might be some sort of shadow war between terms of publishers and Amazon. And like mm. one, the punitive thing they're doing is like, well, just charge you full price if you're not going to guarantee your advertising spend or whatever. But it looked like it was across a variety of imprints at several publishers. Now, that not to be <laughs> Amazon's at war, you know, on multiple, or at war. They're negotiating, <laughs> let's say, with multiple people on multiple fronts all the time. Maybe it just so happens that there's that's a po- there's there's a bunch of other possibilities and that is one we've seen that happen before i think if that's what's happening someone would have squawked at mm-hmm. riverhead or wherever um but i don't know i thought it was really interesting cuz i haven't seen this and it's one of those situations that actually affected my pocketbook in the moment and then i felt myself making the decision tree like i was watching myself Ooh. like decide what to do i was like Darn it. <laughs> darn, darn it. <laughs> then I'm going to have to go on the podcast and, and talk my about behavior. it. Yeah, report my behavior. <laughs> and that I didn't, I don't know what Kahneman and Tversky would have said about how I went through that, but um, that's what I did. It'll give me pause next time, but I just, I just don't have another super great place to go. And I guess I realized that. Um, well, yeah, I, that I'm I making mean, a think, different kind of choice that I'm used to making. That's, I guess. And I think what Kahneman and Tversky would say is people overvalue a guaranteed something, even if the yes. something that's guaranteed is smaller than right. the thing that you have a, a shot at. Mm-hmm. So in the math here, you're placing more value on knowing the book is coming on a certain time frame than on the chance of getting it, you know, fast enough at either the same discount, but from a place you feel morally better about <laughs> or yeah. whatever else. Yeah. Not yeah. to mention, like, I don't know, we have limited resources of willpower and decision making. And there's plenty of other stuff that's drawing your attention right now. So sure. I right. know that that was a rhetorical question, but I think no, it wasn't really. I, I've got, I've got <laughs> chocolate cake in my hand. It's hard to remember eight digits. Wasn't that the study? It's like when you've got when you're yes. distracted and you're trying to remember eight digits, you're like, oh, but chocolate cake is right here. Oh, I forgot digits three through nine. Um, or that there were eight digits rather mm-hmm. than nine, I guess is the thing I really forgot right there. I don't know. It, it's, it got me thinking again um, about the distribution of how this is all going to shake out. Because I guess there's one thing that you, you, you game out in thinking about what Amazon's longer term, you, can't, you don't want to be a loss leader on everything forever. Maybe, I guess mm-hmm. we kind of thought in the publishing world that books were always going to be a loss leader. Like that was just going to be a thing that existed forever. Um, for good or for ill when it comes to reading culture, but that it may not be that, I think opens up a whole bunch of possibilities, some of which are hard to even foresee um, at this point. Who's happy about this? That's not Amazon, I think is an interesting question. Bookshop, maybe? Mm. Indie bookstores, yeah, are they happy? Booksellers. Yeah, independent booksellers. I think independent booksellers are happy if this is the direction this goes because 
you know, if hardcovers go from being discounted 40% to being discounted 10% or 20% yeah. on Amazon, Amazon then can afford to lose like half to two thirds of the of the individual sales because mm-hmm. each sale that they'll keep will be worth two or three times in margin what it would have been in the past. And so like that opens up space for half to two thirds of book buying customers to shift away from Amazon. Like I wish that that would happen. (laughs) I don't think that that's going to happen in that kind of size um, or that whole, that proportion of the whole of book buying, but it opens up some space for independent booksellers to, um, to compete and Mm -hmm. it levels that playing field, which is the thing that, like that independent bookstores have not ever been able to compete with is that they no. exist to sell books. They can't use books as a loss leader. And we've seen Barnes and Noble struggle for years to compete with Amazon's discounting and then to try to make up their margin with all kinds of other wacky mm-hmm. methods. Barnes and, and Noble's probably happy. Either. Barnes and Noble's probably happy that like the book nerd slice of books, a front mm-hmm. list is less discounted at Amazon. They can compete on 10% discounts. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it's interesting that that top line, as you're saying, of hardcover front list that's like people who read five books a year are reading those books remain discounted and that you still get the incentive there. But it's that next layer Mm -hmm. of people who are reading a couple of books a month. They're probably a member of a book club. Maybe they read websites and follow Instagram accounts dedicated to books like they are a book nerd in some capacity. There's those there are those titles like Mexican Gothic is one of those right now that. Yeah those folks are making, I think, more intentional choices sometimes about where they're buying or they're... Well, that's what I thought was interesting, too. Aren't those the very kind of readers? They're not like nerds like you and me who are thinking about it like on a case-by-case basis or have like a, you know, a strategy for either all of your or some of some pie of it going Mm -hmm. towards. It's those kinds of readers. These these are probably the people that like going to independent bookstores, right? These are the independent bookstore bread and butter is the Mm -hmm. semi-serious book nerd there's more of them right um so you really need to cater to them if they're like the showrooming effect won't be as strong if they're in there looking for mexican gothic at north star books and they're like well right. jesus it's 28 bucks was on amazon it's like 27 40 it's like mm-hmm. great i'll buy it right now yeah, exactly because if i was in the store like if i were showrooming at pals which i can't go to bookstores which is part of like one of the other scenarios we put together I don't do. I actually don't do this. If I'm at the bookstore, I buy the book I'm looking for there. Mm-hmm. But if I did pick yeah. up Money by Jacob Goldstein, I'm like, boy, tw- I really want to read this. It was 27 bucks. I bet I can get it for 19 with shipping included on Amazon. I pop it up and it's 25.20, which is the price I paid for it. I'd be like, I'm just going to buy it at Pals. I'm right here. I have it now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, well, I thought that would be interesting to talk about even more talking than I was anticipating. We're almost <laughs> out of time. We're going to take one last sponsor break and we get to do one more story, Rebecca. So you get to pick. <laughs> Okay. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. 
This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eyelin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right, you had five seconds, even though it felt like <laughs> everyone listening to an ad. So everyone's like, oh, Rick has all kinds of time. No, you got to pick now. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go? Or, or if, you want me to ki- if you want to kick it back to me, I know what I want to talk about, but you, you pick. Oh. I don't want to talk about ebooks anymore. So I'm sorry. Damn it. That, that was, was I was going to pick. No, that's all fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Can I do set one I wanna... second on? Let me do one second on that. Another okay. one of these stories in Wired. Publishers worry about ebook as ebook library checkouts. So are COVID, blah, 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 blah. Everything you've heard before. Here's the problem, though. In today's Publishers Weekly, print sales were up year over year again. So what are they worried about? Print sales are up. How much how much concern trolling about ebooks are we going to do while print is up year over year? I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. And the, Sorry, that, the I had concern to that. trolling that's all I had as well. Okay. Like the concern trolling is like all these ebook library checkouts eat into sales and like I'm just this just lends to both of our shared like do we actually know that? We don't know. We don't know. We do not because know. Because it's it's one of those things that publishers say both things. Like sometimes they say we love libraries and you know like people discover authors that they love in libraries and ultimately the existence of li- the existence of libraries supports book sales but then when people like check out a lot of ebooks it becomes oh no this is eating into sales and it's the same situation of like maybe it's eating into ebook sales like maybe people are maybe. checking out the ebooks instead of buying the ebooks and that's a margin that they're watching fall i haven't looked at what's happening with ebook sales in the last couple of months but like print sales are strong and that's where most of their margin is in the first place. In audiobooks, so, which people are buying yeah. hand over fist. Yeah. Sorry. I shake, just that no. gif of that little girl shaking her hairbrush. Yeah. It's like, mm, no more of these I mean, stories. Thank I you. did the interview with Geek and Gonzalez of the Panorama Project, who's, you know, a consortium of publishers is trying to figure out stuff. They, they don't know. They don't know. They don't. Like, the very simple question would be, if libraries disappeared tomorrow, would more or fewer dollars end up in publishers' hands? Mm-hmm. I think intuitively over time i have to say fewer because you are cultivating reading you know i see kids in there all the time i did a million reading live episodes and like 90 percent of those people that came in hardcore book nerds 
have fond memories of going to the library and checking out books. Their relationship mm-hmm. with books was formed in public school libraries and their local branch libraries. I just don't believe that those people buy more books over their lifetime if there are no libraries hanging around there. So if that's true, then everything else is just margin. It's just, you know, marginal edge case. I guess that's where I ultimately have come down on this particular thing. Yeah, I yeah. agree. All right. What story were you going to pick? I'm sorry. I commandeered uh, that, right. but I had to get that out. It's I had to okay. get that out of me. I mean, it's the Book Riot podcast. Sometimes we have to talk about ebook pricing. Mm. <laughs> that a, was a like really good harumph. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, I want to give James Patterson there some shouts go. this week. We talk about him a few times a year for very generously giving away a lot of his money. Um, and the newest story is that he is donating $2.5 million through his Patterson partnership program with Scholastic Book Club, which will give 5,000 teachers throughout the U.S. grants of $500 and 500 Scholastic Books, mm. or 500 Scholastic Book Club's bonus points, sorry, to help create classroom and at-home libraries for students. Um, So that's wonderful. 500 bucks can get you started on a classroom library. Um, Plus, I don't know what a Scholastic Book Club bonus point gets you, but you get 500 of those as well. Mm. Um, The recipients of the grant have already been identified. I think we must have missed like how the application or nominating process occurred, but there is a full list of uh, recipients that you can check out online um, and just cool to see James Patterson continuing to do this to date he's donated 11 million dollars total to school and classroom libraries plus every year he does those bookseller holiday bonuses he supports a lot of wonderful initiatives that help put books in kids hands and that's a thing that we know like mm-hmm. scientifically leads to all kinds of improved outcomes for people as they grow up. Just the presence of books in their home um, and access to books and literacy tools. So teachers being able to build classroom libraries and also at-home libraries, which I guess would be like buying scholastic books that then go to your students at their homes while they're mm-hmm. learning virtually, which is very cool. So I'm I'm happy to see this. I will just continue to watch with interest of um, how James Patterson's um, philanthropy plays out during this time. Mm. And uh, just kind of notably, the partnership also provides support throughout the school year through an online boutique that features discounts on books, a monthly newsletter with tips for building classroom and at-home libraries and all kinds of other stuff. So yeah. um, James Patterson is our money bags hero of the week. May your efforts succeed. That's the Book Riot podcast coming up. Um Middle of next week, recorded it yesterday. Uh, Volume two of Half-Baked Ideas uh, that somewhat improbably ended with me sort of screaming about Tupperware, I guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, uh, things happen. That's Um, coming up. Go ahead. We should drop a link in also for folks like us who have been awaiting the Barry Jenkins Underground Railroad series on hbo there were first look photos and oh some, is my body ready for oh, this one, rebecca oh i don't know how this is going to sneak in under the o'neill meridian <laughs> i mean at least I, it i've anyway, read it right? so at least i know what's going to happen i guess i'm i'm stress eating like dust out of my cereal bowl as soon as i started thinking about watching this <laughs> immediately had to like put something in my mouth uh 
It, it looks, looks awesome. So good. And I didn't know this when we talked about it, but Jenkins isn't just the showrunner. He wrote and directed all 11 episodes. So it's a real... Man. Alturish kind yeah. of a joint, which is not always the case with these limited series, yeah. right? Like someone may be overseeing, but every single episode is I not mean, written directed by. He notes in this piece, which is on slashfilm.com, and we'll drop it in the show notes, mm-hmm. that there were days on set that were so difficult for him that the counselor they had on set, which they had a counselor on set. I mean, how smart him, and wow, amazing. Right. What yeah. made him leave set. So if that's any indication, this is going to be tough to watch tough to watch but in all the ways that it should be yeah all right that's our show happy october everyone hope you're getting some bagged candy to eat silently at night while you look at polling (laughs) data oh wait is that me Mm. oh it's just me (laughs) talk to you later have a good one